Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Localization Fireside Chat podcast and YouTube channel. I'm Robin Ayub, the founder of this platform. And for those who may not have crossed path with, I appreciate it if you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm happy to ho- hook up with you, happy to link up with you, and let's, let's connect. It is, for me, it is a pleasure and great honor this morning to have a good friend and a colleague that I've worked with for many years, Brian Montpetit. Welcome to the uh, channel. Brian is a dynamic professional who's known for his role as a business consultant and specialized in growth strategies. So welcome. I know it's uh, too early for you in California, so thank you for getting up early and <laughs> being part of this conversation. It's always to have a uh, connection with you, and it's always to have the opportunity to have a, a discussion, a debate with you. Uh, we've had those over the over the years many times, and I always enjoyed them. So welcome to the channel. The floor is yours, if you thank don't you. mind, Brian. Just uh, as we say on this channel, everybody's got a story in localization. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are crazy. How they got into it. <laughs> So you have a story. So tell us your story. Tell the audience your story. Yeah, sure thing. And, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And getting up early is my thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm up at 4.35 o'clock. So this is, this is great timing. Right. So, so my story starts 20, almost 25 years ago. So I was, I was programming. I have a programmer analyst degree. Um, I, I was living in Europe and, and working for a development uh, firm. And that was my first exposure to localization. So I had no idea about localization prior to that. I was very, very, very green in terms of development. And it was really while we were developing these systems, because of all the close proximities of the different countries in Europe, we needed to localize our software because everyone, you know, the different population was using it. So that was my first exposure. And after my, I guess, my stint in Europe, when I moved back to, to Montreal, I started a web development firm and ended up sharing an office space really by coincidence with a translation company, pure coincidence. And they kept coming over, you know, every other day and asking about like, you know, character encoding and like file issues and file types and they can they convert things. And, you know, from that, we just started, you know, collaborating more and more. And then, you know, every other day became every day and then, you know, every half day. And then we just basically, they absorbed us. So I, I started uh, working with them you know, evaluating my first gig with them was evaluating cat tools. So I, I was, you know, that's how I kind of got into the industry and I, I haven't left. So I developed a project management system for them. I evaluated, yeah, it was SDLX back in the time. And from then, I mean, we got to hop over into, into SDL way back when RWS. And yeah, I think I was the second person or third person on the SDLX team, you know, in North America. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. And that that's, I haven't left the industry since. <laughs> Well, you know, you, you share a very common story with everybody that uh, people who come to the industry, they they hardly leave. You know, I, I don't have any, any valid yeah. statistics, on them, but I haven't yet to talk to somebody that says, hey, I came to this industry, didn't like it, and I left. Most of the stories yeah. I, that I hear is, I came to the industry, I loved it, and I don't want to go anywhere else. It's, yeah, I mean, naturally, I, I, I came in when I, was, when I was very young, so I don't have, you know, a lot of comparison to draw but yeah i mean that's exactly my story right i came in i love it i love the people 
I've always been involved in the ALC, for example, which is a great group of people. You know, CLIA, also a great group of people. Like the, the industry just seems to be so collaborative and like open. And yeah, I, I think it's just a wonderful space. And naturally, you know, it's 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 global, right? So we're we're dealing with different cultures, different languages, and that, that's that's what life's sure. all about. So I mean, it's it makes sense that we want to stay. Absolutely, and you know, you know, I, I probably told you my story. So I've been around for uh, almost twenty years as well, and I came to it by a complete accident. <laughs> mine it was mine it was like some something you hear like in a James Bond movie or something. I don't know. I was coming back from a flight, uh, coming on a flight from um, the U.S. back home. I was living in Moncton, New Brunswick. Just to remind a listener with this short story, and the gentleman who sitting beside me happened to run a translation company in Moncton, New Brunswick. He convinced me to go work for him over a two-hour flight, and many gins later, <laughs> I ended up working in the localization industry, I guess. And the rest is history. Um, fantastic. So, so just to loop back on, what are you doing now? Like, where, what status are you in now? Right. So I am currently a consultant in growth strategies. So what I do is I use my, I leverage from my experience, having worked on both the technology side of the industry and the service side of the industry. I've, I've always kind of hopped back and forth and crossed that crossed that line many times, which has given me really, really great perspective on how you know tech companies are building themselves within our industry, as well as service companies and how they're building themselves in our industry. And given the fact that you know with my tech background, I specialized in SEO and digital strategies in terms of marketing, that's given me a lot of a lot of perspective. So what I do now is I actually engage with companies, language companies, although I do I do have clients that are outside the industry. And we, we assess their, you know, what they're currently doing. So we perform an audit on how everything's going. We look at the, the strategies they're employing, who their target market is, you know, who they're trying to attract. And we work together to, to ensure that I can leverage that experience to implement strategies for them and their niche and bring them primarily inbound. But we also work with the outbound strategies as well. So, yeah, it's uh, so far so good. I can't complain. <laughs> Well, this is this is very timely, and it's very needed in our industry. This type of service. Everybody I talk to on this channel, and uh, we've been interviewing people every week for the past almost six months. Little while, now. yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, six months in in today's age is like 20, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I want I wanted to ask the question. The biggest problem right now in our industry is revenue generation, and so everybody I talk to you know, help us solve the revenue issue. You know, it doesn't matter what size of the company is, small, big, medium size, large companies, everybody wants more revenue. So what is your scan when you take a look, when you take a look at broadly across the industry, right. on this, on the revenue topic, what is your assessment? Yeah, so I mean, we've got a lot. So, so there's the big guys out there, right? So obviously, you know, you work with one of them. So, so these these massive LSPs are, you know, I think their revenue they always want more too. But I think they, you know, they're set. I'm not going to talk about those uh, those companies there. But when we trickle down into like the medium and smaller size uh, businesses, I mean, they're they're honestly looking for a way to compete, right? A way to be relevant in you know the changing dynamic of this of this industry. So what I'm seeing is that a lot of the companies between, for example, the one to five million are looking for really, really rapid growth. They want to hit that 10 million. It's kind of one of those benchmarks that they're just like, we want to get to 10 million. And that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm fitting in and I'm finding a lot, of, uh, a lot of traction. And it's really about setting it up properly. So that they're not looking just for, and when I said rapid growth, they're not just looking for that growth, but looking for sustainable growth. 
So that's where we come in with the, the strategic aspect of what I do. So what I'm seeing in terms of all these, all these smaller companies is they are obviously facing a, you know, a limitation in terms of the ability to hire massive marketing teams or go out and like spend all this money. So what they spend actually has to have the greatest impact. So yeah, it, it's really, it's really interesting, but most of what I'm seeing is that they are potentially, I'll use the word lacking for lack of better terms, but uh, lacking in uh, digital marketing and sales, quite frankly. So, They've got their processes have, down and everything else, but it's really those two areas that just, that's right, you know, that's right. So, tough. And there's, there's a couple of things going on, and like, this is a very interesting topic for me because I'm very, as you, as, as you are, as you are well aware yeah. as well, very intimate with that with that topic a little bit because mm-hmm. of my background, because of been, what I've been working on uh, for the past right. many years. So one of the things is I, it just comes to mind is for the medium to small small to medium sized companies in our industry, yep. is it marketing or is it sales or is it a debate between the two? Where where are we? Yeah. Where where's the focus? So everyone is actually focusing uh, on sales. If you look, for example, at all the all the recruitment you know companies out there, they're all looking for business development. I think it might be dare I say it, you know. Not, not the best strategy to move ahead just and build that sales team, although it's important. But these smaller teams leveraging inbound, I, I think is what's going to help them the most. I mean, those take, they have the least amount of friction in terms of closing those deals, right? So you do need salespeople. Uh, but if you can get a healthy flow of inbound leads, you're going to close those down a lot quicker and with less you know, effort than going out and trying to establish you know, the cold calls and the cold email sequences and all these types of things. So yeah, for the smaller companies, I'm really thinking that the the digital marketing side is a better way to go because once you have the inbound, you know, inbound leads coming in in a, in a recurring fashion and steady fashion, that just creates a wonderful baseline that you guys can just keep closing while you, you know, invest money into going out and doing other sales strategies. So one of the things that, you know, not just the localization company, companies right. struggle with yeah. is the uh, budget allocation between marketing and sales. <laughs> and, 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 this is not specific to localization. Everybody knows right. that. Right. No, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so are uh, you seeing a shift? So I'm, I'm still seeing everyone putting their money into the, the business development side. You know, with what, I, with what I'm doing now, I mean, obviously there are people that are seeing value in what, in what I do and what, you know, the digital marketing uh, side of things can bring them. So I do see people, you know, willing to spend, but it, it's not... They're not, it's not in the, I think the ratio is off. Let's put it that way. So I think that the, the ratio should shift towards marketing to actually feed sales and enable sales, but that doesn't seem to be happening. So, yeah. And, and when it comes, Brian, when it comes to the, the topic of, you know, short-term goals versus long-term goals, because when you're, when you're developing something like this, you're doing cultural shift in a lot of cases. Um, oh gosh, what's yes. the appetite? Am I hitting a am I hitting a nerve on that one? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, it's really it's really fun. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that have these these they go in with a particular mindset. They forget about you know the reason why they started the you know what they're doing, and I mean I think all this gets diluted as you get bigger a little bit unless you have a very very solid you know culture implemented. But the purpose and why people are actually building their businesses is really critical to how they're actually going to grow their business and, and what drives the, the growth. So I think that the, the mindset shift of, of people, I think they're locked in this. Yeah, most of the people I'm seeing are, are stuck in their business, right? So they're working in their business and not on their business, as we say. 
So they they are having trouble getting out of that mindset of being in the weeds and getting things done and pulling back and then looking at everything from a strategic perspective. So again, because I deal with the the smaller the smaller companies, it takes a lot, I think, for the, the business owners or or upper management to to have that mindset shift. It, it really is ingrained that they need to focus on getting things done and, and deliver all the time. So there, I think there is definitely a coaching aspect when I, when I come in as well that I think, you know, I think it's healthy to do it and, and be challenged. But yeah, I definitely see the, you know, people not necessarily resisting, but having to adapt or, or accept that new mindset. So, and I mean, I think you guys, you know, with where you work as well, you've got, you've got massive sales teams, you've got global presence, you've got a lot of things. And I think the, the corporate culture mindset is more ingrained. And it's and it's very different from you know how the small guys operate. So it's, yeah, it's really. Sure. Interesting. I mean, small guys, the small entrepreneurs are working at, a, at an entrepreneurial right. level, right? So I mean, this is not mm-hmm. unusual for an entrepreneur to be the HR, the head of sale. Oh my gosh, um, so, many know, like, so many hats, so many, <laughs> so many hats, which is, which is typical. So, but my concern is with everything that's going on in our industry and the changes yep. that we're seeing that the small, medium-sized entrepreneurs now are fighting for survival. Of course, yeah. Um, so, and if they don't do these changes that you're talking about, I think it would be very hard not to see revenue degradation. I would agree. The, so you brought up something that's really interesting, is that all these, these, these small companies are kind of still fighting to survive, right? Now, one of the things that I'm seeing is that there's a lot of language companies out there and the the language companies themselves they tend to do well that have been around for a little while obviously the the owners i mean they're they're, they're getting on in years i dare i say they use the term boomers but you know they, they're getting on in years and they're actually looking to you know either succeed or to you know have a succession with their 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 company either to you know their their children or to somebody else in the family sell their company and do an exit so i mean this whole survival aspect that there's this really interesting thing that's going on right now that i'm seeing is that a lot of people are indicating that within the five five to ten years time frame they want to exit so that actually is speeding up the fact that they need the growth they need the stability they need everything in place in order to be able to do that and that is kind of changing the the aspect of surviving where they're saying okay it's not just surviving we've got to grow and then you know make our move and a lot of the younger companies that are coming in, yeah, they, they are coming in with, you know, tech-enabled mindsets. You know, they're coming in with the, not necessarily the traditional mindset of the, the translation, let's call them technicians that, that turned entrepreneur and started their companies. So we're coming in with different mindsets, right? We're coming in from the, the younger entrepreneurial, you know, tech-enabled mindsets versus the older mindsets, which are, you know, the traditional technicians, as I'll call them, turned entrepreneurs that are looking to exit. So... Yeah, it's uh, the young guys. I think are going to do okay, but they they still need the the guidance and that wisdom from the you know the older population. But I'm assuming, like you know, not you know, that's why like this the small to medium enterprise they need your services so desperately now because I hear and you know through the I mean I'm biased uh, about that, so I <laughs> I know I know I know and, and you know what and in knowing you for as many years as I've known you mm-hmm. you're a person of you're a person of trust I, I you know I can vouch for that. And I can say, you know, if anybody's looking for an advice, somebody's looking for a, an ear to listen to, uh, right. Brian is your guy. I mean, if you're listening to this channel 
And you, you, you may want to give Brian a call. He's one of the most trusted person I've worked with. So he's a good guy to listen to. The one thing I want to mention in, in, in the conversation that you've, in the, that you've just, just had is that this multimedia enterprise, you know, you either yeah. survive or you set up your company for sales. And, it, you know, I don't yeah. know if they have five years, right? This is, the, this is the crazy part and how things are changing. Fair, yeah. And so with all these changes, you know, you got to set up your company to grow in a way that now with the industries, the, the way things are going, and especially on the digital marketing side of things, yeah. you know, what kind of lead do I give you? You know, if you don't have, you know, a set of technical <laughs> abilities to deliver, right. I could give you a lead, and I'm assuming you're stuck in that too. I can give you a lead that may not be appropriate for your company. I don't know. And so, you know, there are few things, like I'm hearing a lot of things, and I don't know if you can comment on this one. There's a lot of companies yep. for sales out there. I mean, yep. I don't know, but I'm <clears> hearing <throat> nobody's going to come out and say, my company's for sale. But I can right. see for, through the conversation, through the chatter, that there is yep. many, there are many companies up for sale. Yep. So one of the things that I'm helping companies with is is creating that exit strategy, right? So getting their company ready for sale. And there there are quite a few people that are coming in signaling that they have the interest that they, they want to sell within that that next five to ten years. So yeah, I'm seeing that there. It's a good number. I mean, I, I can't I can't give a, a, a percentage naturally. I haven't pulled the, yeah. but I know. Yeah, I, I know recently in a uh, ALC survey that uh, that was put out, I think it was, uh, I, I'm going to misquote this, I know, but I think it was like uh, three in 10 or something to that effect that we're, that we're looking to uh, sell within the next five to 10 years. So I may be misquoting and, and, that. I hope not, but I, I think that's what I remember. You know what? It's, I don't, you know, we, regardless of what that number is, it's still yeah. significant. I mean, but Absolutely. the other flip side yeah. of that, you know, the entire industry is made up of small right. to medium-sized companies. I mean, it's an 80-20 rule yeah. in our industry companies. Anyway, yep. you know, 80% of the revenue of the, the industry is concentrated at the top 20 companies. Yeah, exactly. And the rest, the rest of the revenue is, a, you know, I would call them, a, you know, a long tail of, of yep. account of, of, of industry companies that they are listed in a small to medium-sized organization. And as you right. mentioned earlier, they were started by a specialist in our industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... The, ind the individual who started this in these companies, both, I mean, yeah. I, there are exceptions, I'm not speaking about everybody, but there are exceptions no, out there. Most of them, though, there are um, the people who do the work, who are yep. expert in doing something. Yeah. And, you know, they're not the individuals, the CEO with vision and how to take this company to the next level. Uh, right. Maybe the, some of them are. I'm not, hopefully, the, I'm not going to. There, there are not, a few impressive yeah, cases, absolutely. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes people need to. See, I mean, in, in North America, we see the forest from the trees. So if I want to make yep. sure that I want to get somewhere, I want to make sure that I have the right tools and skills. I remember yep. early when I started this, 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 in this industry, you know, the yep. individual I was working with, you know, told me flat out, it is not my specialty to grow a company. I hired you to do that. Yep. So somebody somewhere might yep. have to have soul searching exercise to figure <laughs> out what I'm good at and what they're not good at. Absolutely. And, and that's actually something that I, I, I say often as well is, and it's a core belief that I have just because you start a company doesn't mean you're the best person to run that company. You know, you, you can retain, I mean, a lot of people, they call their companies, their babies, they, you know, they're very emotionally attached, you know, to, to their companies. One of the other things I always try, I, 
try and emphasize and, and communicate is that it's okay to be emotionally invested into your company, but try not to be emotionally attached to your company. I mean, when you create the business, you know, it's, it's, you're creating it for a purpose, right? You want to grow it naturally. That's what we have to do. Whether it's lifestyle or whether it's like for the, for the big sale at the end, you're, you're doing it for a purpose. So I, yeah, I think that the, just, just coming back to the, those technicians, you're right. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are the best person to run the company, but being able to recognize that, that, that is, yeah, that is powerful. Not, not everyone can do it. Not everyone's willing to do it. And I'm reminded like back in the days, you know, a few years back now when Bill Gates was managing Microsoft and yeah. not managing Microsoft anymore and right. hired somebody to manage Microsoft. So there may be some lessons out there. There are many of them, actually. Uh, right. I just stated one, but there are many of yeah. them where the idea person is no longer running the company and somebody else right. is running the company. It doesn't mean yeah. that you relinquish power and, you know, you lost no, everything. No. no. But, there, but there's a dynamic that has to kind of set in. I mean, even when I when I had my LSP, right, I, I was doing grassroots. I, I built it up. And at one point, I think about my third year, I was getting some pretty significant growth or rapid growth. And I realized I'm like, I can't wear all the hats. I mean, I, I was aware of this, but it's it's an understanding when that, that you have to make that switch over mentally. So I was, you know, I was looking for, for people to help me out. I was looking for partners. I was looking for, you know, just people with other skill sets you know, that would complement mine so that we could respectively, you know, focus on our areas of expertise and do what we needed to do. I focused on growth. They focused on the administration side and, you know, it was, it was a happy day, but you know, if I had to do everything and wear all the hats, yeah, it would have been, it would have been horrible. <laughs> right. And, and you know what, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, emotional investment in these, in these entities when they get set up Yeah. and you're right. It's the unfortunately, with this, unfortunately, yeah, absolutely correct. With business, there's a less emotion and more business, and and that's yep. the balance I think. So let's talk tech a little bit. So what's hot sure. in your opinion right now from a tech perspective? Tools, <laughs> software. What is where's yeah, where, what's driving the conversation right now? So I mean, every, <laughs> it sounds even silly to mention it, but everyone is talking AI. You know, and I think that that's where you had in your back of your head. You were like, this is what's going to come out. But yeah, everyone is talking AI. And it's everything from, you know, is there AI in my current, you know, tool set and, and tech stack, you know, from using HubSpot that, that has their insights to, you know, Google Analytics with their insights to, okay, how are we actually going to leverage, you know, Gen AI in translation? You know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I started a, a company called Zen Global with uh, Angelo Pasolacqua, uh, formerly of Berg Translations in Chicago. And... We, we originally set out to create a, a CRM for the language industry. We'll still do that, but the path has kind of shifted a little bit. We've had to pivot. When talking to all the LSPs, one of the main things that they signaled that they wanted was data visualization. The industry itself and our tech stacks are so fragmented that we don't have the necessarily the ability to clearly see how everything interacts. So, I mean, the, the companies that offer translation services and interpretation services, those are those are almost always siloed. Like you can't get a report that kind of puts everything into one one space. So getting everything from trending information in, in terms of the the reports, you know, over the past few years on languages and people and availabilities and you know fulfillment. I mean, the, the, it, it's tough to get. You know, it's it's really hard. Which also makes coming back to the you know the selling of companies 
a lot more difficult as well because the people have to understand and get the assessments of what's going on and do their due diligence, and that makes it more complicated. But with respect to that technology, data visualization is a huge thing uh, right now. A lot of people are coming coming to us still. They're asking for it. They ask for help. And naturally, we're, we're going to be putting in the AI into, into the back end. But one of the really, I think, interesting and kind of funny things that happened is when was it last November, I think, or October when, when you know, ChatGPT kind of popped out, I was in the process of having a discussion with Angelo saying, okay, well, <clears throat> we've got the charts, you know, we've got this, it's, it's going in the right direction. And he was like, have you heard about ChatGPT? And I'm like, heard about what? <laughs> what? And he's like, we have to get this in. It's AI. It's this. And he, he went off on this, you know, this, this, this speech of, and he was so passionate about it. I'm like, Yes, we have to do that. Okay. Yeah. I said, let me play with it for a little while. Let me figure out what's going on. And I kind of mashed together this, this tool called Gabby T, this platform, which is a no-code prompt engineering platform for the language industry. And what that allowed us to do is to, I'll, I'll just break it down to very, very, you know, layman's terms. We coded prompts that project managers and translators can use, you know, and they can upload their documents. They can run a whole bunch of different prompts on it. So they can actually leverage the Gen AI part and the intelligence behind all that, you know, into the, uh, into their day to day. Now that having done that, like we mashed it together in kind of like a week, we launched it in beta and, you know, we were doing it more as a test to understand how ChatGPT worked at the time, but people started using it and liking it and they kept signing up and we're like, oh, well, we, we can't kill this. We've got to keep it going now. So we've actually created another, you know, line of business that we're like, well, we, we, we need to keep this going. So we're, we're now focusing on that as well. And we actually just launched a little chat bot that kind of sits in your browser and helps you out. You don't have to go to chat GPT anymore to, to run your, your prompts. It just, you, it understands the context of the page that you're on. So you can ask questions. So there's a lot of AI enabled tools that are coming out that are just going to make us a lot more efficient. So that's kind of where I see things, data visualization, AI for, for efficiency. And so, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you were concurring with my. If you were to tell me like, oh, we have a new one now, and or we are we going back to the old ways, I would have right. thought, no, that's not Brian that I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never, I'm going to push that envelope. So good. So now, from an AI perspective, I mean, and uh, we talked a little bit earlier about you know the survival of the small to right. medium size, and yep. so. AI to me is like say somebody telling me like I heard it so much now. It's somebody telling me are using MS Word. It's like MS Word in my head, right? So <laughs> and, and so because it's such a platform that you can do so many things with it, you can yep. create anything. It's like a canvas. You can write anything you want. Right. And yep. so uh, the applications and, and the type of application you can develop on this. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are endless. But how much yep. adoption are we seeing? In the in the space of the small to medium size, from an AI perspective, from your conversation, is this a, is this like a people are open to using it, or are you finding afraid of it, or what's the story? So there there's always the doom and gloom. You know, there's always the this is going to destroy our industry. We're never going to make money. There's always that that that's being said. Especially, I think the little guys don't necessarily have the the budget, the tech stack, or the infrastructure to really create robust AI solutions. Right. So that's where they. That, that's where that, I think that fear stems from. But they, from what I've seen, everyone is open to to using it. You know, I think they're afraid of the investment into it. But I mean, the cost, 
you know, the, the, the cost of entry the, is just so low. The barrier of entry is, is virtually non-existent with ChatGPT, for example. So even if you're using it in a, in a fragmented or, or manual way, you can still gain benefit from it at very low cost. So I think people are open to it. I think that there's, you know, I think that they're, they need to understand it. And that's always kind of where the, I think the fear comes in as well. When you start trying to use something, you don't necessarily understand how it works or what it's doing, where your data is going, what it's doing with it. You know, all these things I think is, is where one of those other, the aspects of, of fear is generated, but definitely see people being open to using it. You know, I think that if they have the right mindset, they'll understand that, yeah, it is going to just enable us to, to be more efficient, right? We're, we're going to be able to automate certain things, get all those manual tasks that nobody likes to do out of the way. You know, I think it's, yeah, I think it's here to stay. I think people are, are open to it. I think it's going to keep going. So, And Brian, based on what you just, the experience that you had, I mean, you yep. came up with an idea in your company. Mm-hmm. You came up with a, uh, an application that is suitable for right. the application for the, for the business business solution to a problem. And yep. so, and, and you kept it going. So you created a, some sort of a revenue stream, I'm assuming, coming out of this. I hope people paying you for this. And, actually, um, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> really? It's, it is it's in, it is in beta. We're actually going to be putting up a paywall. So I may have let the cat out of the bag. But right now, we what we've done is we've actually let it run for, for almost a year now. And we've been collecting user feedback. We've kind of been getting the user experiences. And it's been beta. There are some versions that we've launched that have completely flopped. And people are just like, nope. We don't like this and we've rolled it back and put other things in place. So yeah, I mean, we're not charging just yet. It's coming, but not yet. It's coming. Well, <laughs> I hope you get your investment out of it. <clears throat> Thank you. I hope so too. I mean, it's, yeah, I think they, the cost for AI, again, when you're looking at other solutions is so, so low. I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the million dollar idea that, that, you know, you're going to make just off your, your paywall. But I think the, the fact that we are creating a low cost, you know, solution for people is going to enable them, you know, to actually benefit from the, from you know, what we've produced. Yeah. So. so if that was a business, a small business to a medium sized company mm-hmm. and I'm faced with all these challenges that are coming at me right now, technology right. changes, you know, revenue is scarce out there or I mean that perceived to be scarce out there, um, yeah. I, which I don't, which I don't believe to be honest with you. I feel like there's a plenty of opportunities out there, there in, is. Our, in our industry. Yeah. There's a plenty of customers to be served. There's plenty of content yep. to be translated. I'm, I'm not worried about people running out of contact, content to translate. Nope. So one of the things is if I was faced with all these challenges, I'm yep. torn, like I, I'm right now I'm putting myself in somebody else's shoes in this case. Right. I'll have a decision to make. Should I hire a business analyst to create services for me in a new environment or should I hire right. a salesperson? I, I personally be leaning to more <laughs> hiring a business analyst to say, okay, we've got all these opportunities here with the new tech. Right. I need to create some services generated from this technology. It gives me mm-hmm. more revenue by producing yeah. revenue generation streams. Do you agree or am I offline on this one? No, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I think when you create companies and when you're actually, you know, your company has been around for a little while, you need to ensure that you're focusing on being extensible, right? So the, the ability to pivot. And that's kind of what you're saying is, okay, the analyst is going to look at the the ability to create these new revenue streams, new services, new products, what have you. And I think identifying that is is key because as we mentioned before, just because you're running that company doesn't mean you have the ability to to understand or see, for example, all the, the possibilities out there in terms of uh, services or product possibilities. So yeah, I definitely 100% agree with you. I think it's a, it's a fantastic point. 
Yeah, like, you know, we can go chasing the, and, and you know, let's face it, I mean, the industry is such a large industry in terms of the amount of content that this industry generates, yep. you know, has it on or handles on a day-to-day basis. Right. Is, you know, is, is the, you know, let's, let's ask a fundamental question. Is 100% of the content in the localization business that are going to be moving to AI? I highly doubt it. Is a big majority of it will move to AI? Yes. So you're always going to have that pyramid shape of content where you've got at the bottom, you know, high volume and low price, right. AI automated, yep. etc. And as we go back up to the top of the pyramid and the specialization mm-hmm. of the content gets narrower and narrower and narrower, yep. you are going to see, you know, the legacy of survive in a space, but it's got to shrink dramatically. Right. So in, for instance, you know, I've got my passport is in, in Canada. I'm traveling to whatever. And somebody asked me, yep. I need this passport translated, certified, on paper, printed. Yep. I don't know how AI is going to do that for me. Unless unless somebody... <laughs> so I still have to hand it over to a certified translator. Walk to their office, translate yep. it, certify it, take it to yep. a notary, stamp it. And this is, this is obviously an extreme example. But there is between this one and the content that it's being handled today by AI... There's a yep. myriad of possibilities of yeah. where do we apply AI, where do we apply human, and that hybrid environment that we are going to live in. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's kind of the same same discussion with with MT. We've just replaced the you know the term with AI. I, I think that there's always going to be content that's suitable for you know for MT and or an MT and or AI. But one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind, and this is this is important to keep in mind for all the small businesses out there as well, is the these the buy side, those people are going to require some liability. They they want somebody to, you know, to point the finger to if something goes wrong, right? And if they're using just Gen AI to provide, you know, either marketing content and or translations, yeah, they, they don't have that. So they they need somebody to actually be there to validate you know, and then ensure that everything is okay at the end of the day. And effectively what they're paying us for is not only the, the translation and our cultural knowledge and, and all the things that come along with uh, language services, but yeah, part of it is liability. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm hearing also like, you know, take a drug company or, or life sciences company of any sort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have issues if, and like big liability if you are going to f- go yep. fully automated, um, yep, for sure. fully automated, who are you going to blame, right? So to your point, you need somebody to go back mm-hmm. and point the finger at. Unfortunately, I was in a meeting. I have a lot of anecdotes, sorry. Um, I was in a meeting one time and uh, um, a partner of mine was sitting across right. the table with me and he was trying to support me. And uh, one of the things he said in the meeting, which I can't believe it was said in a business meeting, you should do business with these guys because they've got a very good insurance policy. And I just, not necessarily because they do a good job. They, do, they have a very good insurance but, policy. I said, thanks for it, the support. I appreciate it. Get out of here. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, it's it's funny though, but it's it's an important thing that, I mean, all most of the U.S. companies were used to the, the whole, uh, you know, stories about U.S. because we're both sitting in, in Canada. Well, technically I'm in the U.S. at the moment. But, uh, you know, being Canadian, we're, you know, the the... The lawsuit culture, if you will, the the, the suing culture right. is not necessarily part of us, right? We'll yep. we'll work things out, we'll mediate, it'll all get rectified, and nobody loses their shirt at the end of the day, hopefully. But in the U.S., yeah, I mean, you've got to be insured, you know, incredibly. I remember just with my LSP when I started working with American clients, it's kind of funny, but my my insurance for my company, professional liability and 
you know, errors and emissions, it, it tripled. Yeah. <laughs> when they were asking where I was doing business, I was like, oh, all right, just because of the likelihood, right? So Yeah, most companies yeah. in the U.S., I'm being told, I don't know, they have more lawyers than employees, but what do I know? <laughs> but yeah, so to your point, I mean, the, the liability aspect is, is really important. The insurance aspect, yeah, it's still important. It's, it's, a, real, it's a real thing. Companies have right. to pull something back off the shelves. I mean, if we're dealing with uh, labeling or anything else, so that's a big cost. I, mean, if, so. I don't want to take too much time on this one because I want to leave some yeah. time to wrap up the conversation with you. But one more point on this conversation is, have we at a point, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking to hear your opinion on it, have we at this point right now, are we reducing the conversation regarding quality to the favor of automation, to the favor of AI? Have the quality discussion taken a bit of a backseat, not completely a backseat, but a bit of a backseat in comparison to the conversation that we're having on this whole AI, cost reduction, automation, yep. do more with less, those kinds of things? I, I, I think quality is always implied in our in all our discussions. I mean, that that's I don't think it's a differentiating point in terms of companies. The USP is not necessarily quality. I mean, you're, you're supposed to be delivering something that's of quality, you know? So I think that's, that's one of the baselines that I think we always have. I do think that there are a lot of interesting solutions and, and tech out there that enable us to provide either automated or, you know, human assisted or technology assisted QA on all our, all our material. But again, the AI thing, I think is the, the new shiny you know, object that we're all going, ooh, okay, let's go that way. I didn't know. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. And I mean, there is a lot of possibilities. I think that with Gen AI, we, Gen AI, we do have the ability to to render, for example, the, the QA process, you know, that much more efficient. So I think it's, it's going to be part of QA moving forward. I think that, you know, it's, again, I, I don't think it means that we're dismissing or ignoring the quality aspect. I think it's just, it's always implied that the quality has to be there. Yeah, like, no, I 100% agree with you, but I feel like the the tolerance level for lower quality is much right. better now than it was, you know, three, four years ago. I feel like if somebody makes a mistake, like in a user manual, right. or it, no, I'm, not, I'm not, not, not talking about, like, I mean, uh, a drug description or anything like that, or anything yeah, um, related to health sciences, but in some sort of a piece of content, people are just you know, letting pass by, like there's not, there's less scrutiny on this one. And, and not, oh. not because of the, not because of the, and, right. and it's not because of the LSPs or anything like this. No. You know, yeah. if you talk about Gen AI and people taking content and generating it in, in chat GPT or right. using chat GPT to translate things uh, to escape, you know, the cost yeah. of going to an LSP, right. uh, they're taking that content and just throwing it out there. And, not necessarily being policed by anybody and from right. a quality perspective. Yep. And then you end up with not necessarily the best quality content out there. And it, you know, in our industry, it takes, you know, a couple of mistakes or one mistake in some in general yep. for a company, a respectable company to end up in the public domain and the media. So yeah, absolutely. This is where I was going with this. Not because the LSP doesn't want to do a good job. It's just because right. the user themselves are finding it very easy. I'll take the content, put it in ChatGPT or whatever tool they're using, yep. and that's all I have to do. I just said, you know, got rid of that translation headache. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that people don't know what they don't know, right? It's it, it's they will they will blindly translate things, even using Google or you know ChatGPT, what have you. 
because they, they don't realize that the quality coming out of it is questionable. So if we, if, I mean, if we're talking about typos and things like that, okay, that, that's something that comes down to, you know, the quality aspects of, of what they've produced. If we're talking about just bad translations, usually that's just because there's a lack of awareness. They just, they just either are really trying to ensure that there's no cost associated to them, you know, localizing their, their content, and they'll, they'll be automating that through whatever means, and they just they don't see the importance of it. So Correct. it's unfortunate. I think so there's a matter of awareness that comes into play. And I think that there, when you're dealing with people that, for example, are doing these things, just putting it in, I mean, I, <laughs> I see opportunity in that. I'm just like, ooh, all right, there's a mistake in their documentation. Let's go talk to them. But that's me. So, I mean, yeah. would, would my, you know, my parents or my brother, you know, look at it the same way? They'd probably just like, mistake, move on. So, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's ingrained in me now, having worked in the industry, to be like, oh, my God, there's, there's something wrong. Let's go get it fixed. But yep. yeah, I don't know if people uh, outside the industry care as much as we do. <laughs> I tell you, a very interesting conversation, Brian. I really appreciate the uh, time we're having today together. I could talk to you for hours. But before we, uh, before we come up to the hour here, I uh, want to give you the opportunity uh, for people to reach out to you if you have anything you would like to share or comment before we wrap it up. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, I'm, I'm always of the mindset that I, I love helping people. That, that's what drives me. That's my purpose. That's what I want to do. So if people uh, want to talk to me about anything going on in their organizations, and it's not really just to, to generate that sale, it's just, let's talk about it. I can be a sounding board. You know, uh, I'm always, I always believe in having discussions with people at no cost, just to, to help them out and see where things go. If it generates business for me, that's fantastic. If it helps them at the end of the day and I don't get business, that's also great. So I think, yeah, brianmompetsy.com. It's uh, obviously, you'll see my name in the in the podcast listing here in the description. But brianmompetsy.com, you can get in contact with me very easily through my website. LinkedIn as well. If you look me up, I'm, I'm all over. I'm trying to produce content on a daily basis. So you'll probably see some some interesting videos, funny videos, uh, potentially annoying videos. I'm not sure uh, whatever your take is, but I'm there. So yeah, I mean, I, I try to make myself accessible as, uh, as much as possible. So brianmompsey.com or brianmompsey on uh, LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to talk to anyone. Thank you, uh, Brian, for this. And thanks today for the conversation. And thanks for joining me on this uh, podcast uh, episode. I really appreciate it. You're to awesome. Our Thank you. To our audience, thank you for joining me today as well. And thanks for taking a listen to this conversation and watching our YouTube videos. I really appreciate it if you can like, share, and comment and, and uh, on, the, on this content. I really appreciate that. It would help the channel quite a bit. Thank you so much again for everybody. And until next time, this is Robin Ayub and Brian Montpetit signing off together. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayoub. Keep those global conversations alive.